This is Sermons number 70, and we're picking up the story in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 1. Thou shalt not see thy brother's ox or his sheep go astray, and hide thyself from them. Thou shalt in any case bring them again unto thy brother. And if thy brother be not nigh unto thee, or if thou know him not, then thou shalt bring it unto thine own house, and it shall be with thee until thy brother seek after it, and thou shalt restore it to him again. Now, it's clear from this verse that brother here doesn't mean literal brother, as in male siblings from the same parents, because of the if thou know him not phrase. You know, if you were siblings from the same parents, you would know him. But, you know, I don't think we've quite reached the New Testament point where all men are brothers. I think it's much more likely here that a uh, brother here is a fellow child of Israel, a descendant of Jacob or Israel, a male Israelite, in other words. In like manner shalt thou do with his ass, and so shalt thou do with his raiment, and with all lost thing of thy brother's, which he hath lost, and thou hast found, shalt thou do likewise. Thou mayest not hide thyself. Thou shalt not see thy brother's ass or his ox fall down by the way and hide thyself from them. Thou shalt surely help him to lift them up again. Well, that seems pretty clear. But now for something completely different. <laughs> the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. So Lord Yahweh uh, didn't like cross-dressers. Interesting that there was enough of that going on in ancient times that there needed to be a commandment against it. If a bird's nest chanced to be before thee in the way in any tree or on the ground, whether they be young ones or eggs, and the dam sitting upon the young or upon the eggs, thou shalt not take the dam with the young, but thou shalt in any wise let the dam go, and take the young to thee, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest prolong thy days. <laughs> so, so it's okay to steal her young, but it's not okay to take the mother herself, or, or the father in certain species, where the... Where the where the father sits on the nest. When thou buildest a new house, then thou shalt make a battlement for thy roof, that thou bring not blood upon thine house, if any man fall from thence. Um, and it also gives you something to hunker down behind if you're under attack, you know, that's hence the word battlements. Thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with diverse seeds, lest the fruit of thy seed which thou hast sown and the fruit of thy vineyard be defiled. Now, because you don't want any unintentional hybrids springing up. If you're going to create a hybrid, you need to plan for it. <laughs> but even then, there can be some unpleasant surprises, you know, like the Yahwalians had when they created Homo sapiens. Example of what can happen if you uh, plant your vineyard with diverse seed, well, not vineyard in this case, but field, almost all of the corn that is grown in the U.S. Uh, as of this date has become GMO corn because 
Farmers planted their regular corn too close to the GMO fields, and the pollen from the GMO corn uh, drifted over into the non-GMO fields, and it cross-pollinated them. And, uh, you know, that keeps happening, you know. They may not even realize that their corn is now GMO, and so they plant other non-GMO corn next to it, and it spreads over to that. So good luck if you're hoping to... Uh, eat natural, organic, non-GMO corn. Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. Because for, for one thing, uh, the, an ox is a lot stronger than a donkey. So, you know, you, if, you, if you yoke them together, you're going to have a hard time plowing a straight line. Thou shalt not wear a garment of diverse sorts as of woolen and linen together. Now, I have no idea why we need commandments like these. You know, the Yahwehlians just seem to want to micromanage everything. Uh, thou shalt not wear wool and linen together seems like total minutia to me. You know, next thing you know, they'll be saying, thou shalt not wear white after Labor Day. Thou shalt make thee fringes upon the four quarters of thy vesture, wherewith thou coverest thyself. Now these fringes or tassels have been mentioned before back in uh, Numbers, Numbers 15. But I, I didn't really understand the reason for them then, and I still don't. If any man take a wife and go in unto her and hate her, and give occasions of speech against her, and bring up an evil name upon her, and say, I took this woman, and when I came to her, I found her not a maid, not a virgin, in other words. Then shall the father of the damsel and her mother take and bring forth the tokens of the damsel's virginity unto the elders of the city in the gate. And the damsel's father shall say unto the elders, I gave my daughter unto this man to wife, and he hateth her. And lo, he hath given occasions of speech against her, saying, I found not thy daughter a maid, and yet these are the tokens of my daughter's virginity, and they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. Now, evidently, these so-called tokens of the damsel's virginity were the blood-stained bedclothes from her wedding night. Now, I don't know what that proves, since for one thing, there would have had to have been chain of custody problems. Um, and for another thing, there are other ways that blood could have been shed. She might have been on her period, for one thing, you know. And the elders of that city shall take that man and chastise him, and they shall immerse him an hundred shekels of silver and give them unto the father of the damsel, because he hath brought up an evil name upon a virgin of Israel, and she shall be his wife. He may not put her away all his days. Now, a hundred shekels was a pretty stiff fine, and not only was it a stiff fine, but now, you know, uh, it's the law that he's stuck with her for the rest of his life, or, or, or hers. But if this thing be true, and the tokens of virginity be not found for the damsel, then they shall bring out the damsel to the door of her father's house, 
and the men of her city shall stone her with stones that she die, because she hath wrought folly in Israel to play the whore in her father's house. So shalt thou put evil away from among you. You got to nip it in the bud, as Barney would say, Barney Five. Nip it, nip it. And this makes sense if your only concern is the health of the collective and you don't care anything about the individuals who make up the collective. And I think, in a nutshell, that's why collectivism is evil. If a man be found lying with a woman married to an husband, then they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shalt thou put away evil from Israel. If a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed unto an husband, and a man find her in the city, and lie with her, then ye shall bring them both out unto the gate of that city, and ye shall stone them with stones that they die. The damsel, because she cried not, being in the city, and the man, because he hath humbled his neighbor's wife, so thou shalt put away evil from among you. See, betrothal was a lot more in those days than being engaged is today. It was a binding contract back then, and, and losing your virginity to somebody else was a major violation of that contract. But if a man find a betrothed damsel in the field, and the man force her and lie with her, then the man only that lay with her shall die. But unto the damsel thou shalt do nothing. There is in the damsel no sin worthy of death. For as when a man riseth against his neighbor and slayeth him, even so is this matter. For he found her in the field, and the betrothed damsel cried, and there was none to save her. If a man find a damsel that is a virgin, which is not betrothed, and lay hold on her and lie with her, and they be found, then the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he hath humbled her. He may not put her away all his days. See, this is like a misdemeanor compared to raping a virgin. If she were married, it would be covered in the top ten commandments under adultery, and that's a felony. You know, fornication that is not adultery like in a case like this, it's just an infraction. Unless it's with a virgin who's in a binding contract to maintain her virginity. So it's almost like she's married. A man shall not take his father's wife nor discover his father's skirt. <laughs> well, I guess because if he's discovered his father's skirt in his father's closet... You know, his father would be in big trouble, as we saw in an earlier verse. Well, that's not really what it means, but, you know, I think you can figure out what it means. And that's the end of chapter 22. Let's move on to Deuteronomy 23. He that is wounded in the stones, or hath his privy member cut off, shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Now, back in Leviticus 21, we saw that uh, certain people, certain disabled people, blind people, lame people, dwarves, hunchbacks, and so on, 
were not allowed into the sanctuary. And now it looks like we can add eunuchs to that list of the imperfect and the unworthy. A bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of the Lord. You know, the Yahwehlians were very careful about bloodlines. And if you don't know who your father is, you don't know what kind of imperfections might crop up later in your descendants. So that's probably the reason for the 10 generation ban to uh, make it less likely that something like that might crop up down the road. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their 10th generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Because they met you not with bread and with water in the way when you came forth out of Egypt, and because they hired against thee Balaam, the son of Beor of Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse thee. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loved thee. Thou shalt not seek their peace nor their prosperity all thy days forever. Talking about the Ammonites and the Moabites. Thou shalt not abhor an Edomite, for he is thy brother. Jacob's brother, Israel's brother, in other words. Thou shalt not abhor an Egyptian, because thou wast a stranger in his land. The children that are begotten of them shall enter into the congregation of the Lord in their third generation. So, takes a little while, but not nearly as long as it does for bastards and Moabites and all those other defectives. When the host goeth forth against thine enemies, then keep thee from every wicked thing. If there be among you any man that is not clean by reason of uncleanness that chanceth him by night, then shall he go abroad out of the camp. He shall not come within the camp. We're talking nocturnal emissions here once again. You know, we talked about this a few episodes ago. But it shall be when evening cometh on, he shall wash himself with water, and when the sun is down, he shall come into the camp again. Thou shalt have a place also without the camp, whither thou shalt go forth abroad. And they call this the latrine, I think. And thou shalt have a paddle upon thy weapon, and it shall be when thou wilt ease thyself abroad, thou shalt dig therewith, and shalt turn back and cover that which cometh from thee. <laughs> yeah, you know, like your cat does in the cat box. Well, most of the time they do. For the Lord thy God walketh in the midst of thy camp. <laughs> now, do you see what this is saying here? Lord Yahweh, you know, is going to be walking around in your camp and you wouldn't want him to step in your business, so you better cover it up. I mean, think about that. Uh, let me read that again, finish the verse. For, let's see, let's start back to the previous verse, previous two verses. 
Thou shalt have a place also without the camp, whither thou shalt go forth abroad, and thou shalt have a paddle upon thy weapon, and it shall be when thou wilt ease thyself abroad, when you take a dump, thou shalt dig therewith, and shalt turn back and cover that which cometh from thee, thy excrement, in other words. For the Lord thy God walketh in the midst of thy camp to deliver thee, to give up thine enemies before thee. Therefore shall thy camp be holy, that he see no unclean thing in thee and turn away from thee. Because if he steps in it, he's liable to, you know, not lend you the military assistance that he's evidently there for. You know, we're talking a military camp here near the front lines when the Israelites are at war with their enemies. And that's why he has to be there, or some senior Yahwehian has to be there. Thou shalt not deliver unto his master the servant which is escaped from his master unto thee. He shall dwell with thee, even among you, in that place which he shall choose in one of thy gates, where it liketh him best. Thou shalt not oppress him. You know, I wonder if the congressman who passed the Fugitive Slave Acts back in the mid-1800s, and or even before there was a Fugitive Slave Act before 1800. But I wonder if the, the ones that passed that had read those verses. You know? Sometimes the Yahwehlians got it right. A lot of times they didn't. But, you know, sometimes they got it right. There shall be no horror of the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. Thou shalt not bring the hire of a whore or the price of a dog into the house of the Lord thy God for any vow, for even both these are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not lend upon usury to thy brother, usury of money, usury of victuals, usury of anything that is lent upon usury. Unto a stranger thou mayest lend upon usury, but unto thy brother thou shalt not lend upon usury, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all that thou settest thine hand to in the land whither thou goest to possess it. See, remember I said that brother meant a fellow Israelite. It, it distinguishes here between foreigners and Israelites. You can charge a foreigner interest on a loan, but not your brother Israelite. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. That which is gone out of thy lips thou shalt keep and perform, even a free will offering, according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. So, if you make a promise, keep it. And don't promise more than you can deliver. Or don't promise more than you want to be obligated to repay. When thou comest into thy neighbor's vineyard, then thou mayest eat grapes thy fill at thine own pleasure, but thou shalt not put any in thy vessel. Now I see people in the Kroger produce section all the time that must have read this verse because they'll take some grapes and pop them in their mouth, but they don't put any in the bags. 
When thou comest into the standing corn of thy neighbor, then thou mayest pluck the ears with thine hand, but thou shalt not move a sickle unto thy neighbor's standing corn. So again, eat all you want, you know, while you're there, but don't carry any home with you. And that's the end of chapter 23. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it comes to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and giveth it in her hand, and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after that she is defiled. For that is abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance." What this all amounts to is that if you divorce a woman and she remarries, you can never marry her again. Now, I'm not sure exactly what the rationale for this is, but I'm guessing that it would uh, cause some social instability if this were allowed. I don't know. It seems to me that the commandments they come up with are designed to uh, benefit the collective, as I've said before regardless of how it uh, tramples on individual rights. When a man hath taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, neither shall he be charged for any business, but he shall be free at home one year, and shall cheer up his wife, which he hath taken. <laughs> cheer up his wife. I, I don't think I've heard that particular euphemism before, but, you know, I guess it sounds like a lot more fun than going off to war, uh, no matter what it involves. No man shall take the nether or the upper millstone to pledge, for he taketh a man's life to pledge. You know, because if you don't have a millstone or a complete, you know, mill, you can't mill your grain. And if you can't mill your grain, you can't make bread. And if you can't make bread, you can't eat. And if you can't eat, you can't live. So that's what it means by taking a man's life to pledge. It's saying you can't take something that's necessary for life as security on a loan. If a man be found stealing any of his brethren of the children of Israel, and maketh merchandise of him, or selleth him, then that thief shall die, and thou shalt put evil away from among you. Now, that phrase, any of his brethren of the children of Israel, makes it even more clear that brother means fellow Israelite. Um, you can't kidnap another Israelite and sell him into slavery on penalty of death. But presumably, you were... Uh, either allowed to do that to a non-Israelite, or at least uh, if you did, the penalty wouldn't be as severe. Take heed in the plague of leprosy that thou observe diligently and do according to all that the priests, the Levites, shall teach you as I commanded them, so ye shall observe to do. 
Remember what the Lord thy God did unto Miriam by the way, after that ye were come forth out of Egypt. Remember when Miriam and Aaron started talking against Moses, the, the Lord came down in a cloud, probably a cloud of smoke and fire, you know, as his ship landed, and he proceeded to dress them down and uh, give Miriam a mild temporary case of leprosy um, or something simulating leprosy anyway, close enough that she had to spend a week outside of camp. Now, why he did this to Miriam and not to Aaron, I'm not sure. Maybe she was the ringleader, maybe the instigator. When thou dost lend thy brother anything, thou shalt not go into his house to fetch his pledge. Thou shalt stand abroad, and the man to whom thou dost lend shall bring out the pledge abroad unto thee. And if the man be poor, thou shalt not sleep with his pledge. In any case, thou shalt deliver him the pledge again when the sun goeth down, that he may sleep in his own raiment, and bless thee, and it shall be righteousness unto thee before the Lord thy God. Now the, the assumption here seems to be that uh, a poor man is likely to have only one valuable possession to offer as security, and that was the cloak that he wrapped up in to stay warm on those cold desert nights. And it would be cruel, you know, to make him shiver all night long without a cloak. So, you know, that's why it says to deliver him the pledge again when the sun goeth down, that he may sleep in his own raiment. And then presumably you'd get the cloak back the next morning. Seems like a lot of trouble to go to, but... Thou shalt not oppress an hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be of thy brethren or of thy strangers that are in thy land within thy gates. Strangers meaning foreigners. At his day thou shalt give him his hire, neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor, and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be sin unto thee. So... <clears throat> Pay out the wages you owe when they're due because, you know, this poor man is living from paycheck to paycheck and he can't stand any delays. The father shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. So you can have punishments that cover several generations, but, you know, death is not one of them. Thou shalt not pervert the judgment of the stranger, nor of the fatherless, nor take a widow's raiment to pledge. But thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee thence. Therefore I command thee to do this thing. When thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field, and hast forgot a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. When thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. When thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt. 
Therefore, I command thee to do this thing. You know, sometimes this Yahweh is just a mean old man. But other times, like here, he seems like a decent sort. Yeah. It kind of makes you wonder whether maybe more than one Yahwehlian wasn't filling that role of Lord Yahweh from time to time. You know, maybe they took it by shifts. Sometimes there, there was a uh, grouchy uh, hanging judge type uh, who was having a bad day, you know, filling that role. And sometimes there was a nice uh, chill hippie type who just uh, wanted everybody to be charitable. Now it's kind of like there were two factions, like back in the Garden of Eden or in the days leading up to the Great Flood when the followers of Enlil, or Yahweh, uh, wanted to destroy mankind and the followers of uh, Enki, a.k.a. the Great Serpent, <laughs> wanted to save them. Well, anyway, that's the end of chapter 24. And once again, we're about out of time. So we'll pick it up next time at the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 25. Until then, keep the faith. Take care of the poor and the fatherless and the widows and the orphans. And, I don't know. Don't sell your brothers into slavery. And whatever you do, don't wear white after Labor Day. Mm -hmm.